Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. It is Sunday, November 22nd, and it is the final day of the church calendar, which is Christ the King Sunday. Also, when we do Love Feast, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, we are obviously not gathering in person this year because COVID cases are on the rise. We want everybody to be safe, take the proper precautions to stay socially distant, uh, just stay home for for Thanksgiving this year. Uh, I know that it sucks to Zoom uh, Thanksgiving and to Zoom Love Feast, uh, but uh, this thing is is bad, and uh, the trajectory of the virus is not looking good. So I just hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving and stays safe and stays home. Uh, obviously, we are all going through so much right now, but uh, it is better to, to be safe during this time than to... Um, to, to, then to push it a little bit and and have something go wrong or end up getting somebody else sick um, that we don't even know how our uh, actions will impact another person. So be well, stay safe, and, and happy Thanksgiving. Uh, it's hard to know where to begin a Thanksgiving sermon during such a difficult, heart-wrenching, stressful year. And I, I probably aged like eight years in the past eight months. We know that life is deeply unfair. There's no question about it. But Despite of its unfairness, we also know that it's deeply worth it. it. Like I said, in the church calendar year, this is the final week. It's Christ the King Sunday. Next week, we'll begin Advent, and it's our tradition at Mission Hills to use this week to reflect on and to take stock of the past year. And it's always a special day when we have the privilege to gather as a community. We'll be doing it on Zoom this year, but to reflect as a community on, on the previous year. And it's particularly hard to reflect on what we're grateful for when many of us have had the most difficult year of our lives, both as a global community and as individuals. As Seth Cohen wisely said, it feels like I'm just having an allergic reaction to the universe right now. So with that in mind, there's a phrase in the running community that I learned from my high school cross-country coach, and it goes like this, embrace the suck enjoy the good. Embrace the suck and enjoy the good. I like this phrase because there are always times in training and running when something goes wrong, breaks down, or unexpected happens. It's inevitable. Whether it's a running injury or a setback or just mental fatigue during a race, there are always moments when running sucks. And one of the tricks that any runner knows that is to deal with unexpected um, to deal with the unexpected, it's necessary at some level to embrace the suck and enjoy the good. Running is a sport with extreme highs and really low lows, but being able to find that equilibrium or equanimity comes from one's ability to be in the moment with whatever is happening. I think you see where I'm going with this. This can be just as well be applied outside of running. When we face difficult circumstances, in tough seasons of life, it's important that we don't ignore the bad, but also that we don't forget to celebrate the good. Oftentimes when things have seemed to go off the tracks in my own life, my instinct is to continually focus on the negative, leading to a death spiral of compounding little things that are not going the way I would like them to go. And 2020 has been unexpected for all of us, uh, and it has had a negative rolling impact on each of our lives, whether employment and economic or physical and mental and emotional stress. It's taking a toll on all of us. 
So on this Thanksgiving week, at the end of our year in the church calendar and as a church family, when I'm preaching on gratitude, I'm preaching to all of us when I say that we cannot ignore the bad. We embrace the suck, but we can also not forget to enjoy the good. Rumi writes, the wound is the place where the light enters you. And I'm pretty sure Leonard Cohen ripped off of him when he said there's a crack in everything and that's how the light gets in, which I'm pretty sure is another way of saying embrace the suck, enjoy the good. In the Christian tradition, we understand that our woundedness is where we can encounter God's grace. On Christ the King Sunday, we have the opportunity each year to not only reflect on the year, but it gives us space to remember, to remember that despite everything that has happened or hasn't happened, God is moment by moment holding us together in Christ through it all. To remember God in this way is to create a sacred capacity for God to heal our wounds, what Thomas Keating called the divine therapy. Our perspective of God, or lack thereof, is an incredibly powerful force in the life of every human being. Richard Rohr has often said, your image of God creates you. The way we think about God or the universe deeply impacts how we interact with others in our world. For example, if we see the world as a violent and chaotic place, we will more than likely treat our environment in the same way. Our thought patterns and perspectives are developed over a lifetime and stored consciously or unconsciously within us. Sometimes, even if we intellectually hold a belief in stress or difficult circumstances, we revert to negative patterns that we have lived with for years. So I think it's important for us to remind each other what God is like, so we don't negative death spiral during these hard times. Our lectionary text for this week is the passage of the sheep and goats from the end of Matthew 25, which we talked a little bit about last week. Traditionally, this text has either been used to berate people for not doing enough of the moral commandments of Christ to heal the sick or feed the poor, or clothe the naked, visit those in prison, or it has been used to uphold violent, vindictive perspective of a God, banishing those not doing the right things to eternal fire and torment. In both understandings, Christ is disappointed at people, either for not being good enough or actively punishing the people we don't like because we are definitely the sheep. One thing to notice about this text is that the sheep don't realize that they're feeding, clothing, and visiting because they're just livings from a space transformed by grace. There's no scorecard being kept. They are simply living their lives unencumbered by any perceived need to perform to a certain moral standard that Jesus will be happy with. The goats, on the other hand, are preoccupied by who gets credit for their charity or who is deserving of such moral energy. They are entrapped by a self-righteous, selfish existence of their own making, constantly weighing the cost-reward of their actions in relation to what they believe is expected. There's much more we could say, obviously, about this story from Jesus, but on this Sunday, I want us to consider this text that teaches us that God's grace so transforms our lives that we are truly liberated to simply live with sincerity and compassion. I think this quote from James Finley encapsulates what's happening in this parable and often what happens in our attempts at thinking about God in our own spiritual lives. He writes, when we give God a name, we equate God with the name we have given him. And in doing so, we make ourselves, in effect, God's God. Instead of acknowledging God as the source of our identity and existence, we make ourselves the self-proclaimed source of God's identity. God then becomes the one made in our image and likeness. Thomas Keating told a story in one of his books of a bishop named Basil Hume, who grew up in a strict English household. One day, 
Basil's mother wanted to discipline the kids, so she pointed to the cookie jar in the kitchen, and she said, you see that jar? I don't want you children putting a hand in between meals. It is for dessert on feast days. God is always watching you. So as a child, Basil's idea of God changed from a loving and trusting one to that of a police officer, waiting and watching for his every mistake. Basil admitted that this negative view of God stunted his spirituality for 30 years. Later in his life, Basil said, I received a special grace that changed my attitude toward God. I realized that as of a child, if I would have put my hand in that cookie jar, and if it had been between meals, and if God was really watching, he would have said, son, why don't you take another one? Perhaps this is what God's like, grace. At Mission Hills, we end every service with a benediction, love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest, which is from Kyle Lake, who was a pastor who passed away 15 years ago this October. And it serves as a reminder of our value that our remembrance of God and gratitude is the source of our identity and existence, not a justifier or a meaning maker. We move from this space into our embrace of the beautiful mess of life because we live life to the fullest when we welcome everything. When we gather at the end of the church, the church calendar for Christ the King Sunday, whatever you think of kingly language, one reason we gather, I hope, is to remind ourselves what God is like and God is grace. There's a story that Jesus tells about a man who had two sons. The younger son said to the father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me in my inheritance. So the father divided up the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left. There he wasted everything he had. And after he had gone through all of his money, there was a bad famine throughout the country, and he began to hurt. He signed on with the citizen there who assigned him to his fields with the pigs. He was so hungry that he would have eaten the corn cobs with the pigs, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses, and he said, All those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'll go back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God, and I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, his heart pounding. He ran out and embraced him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I, I, I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to his servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes to dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And then get grain-fed calf and roast it. We are going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here. He was dead and now alive. He was lost and now found. The Christian tradition has often talked about God like this father running to his child who has finally returned home. God doesn't ask us where we've been or what we've done, what we've earned, how much we've given, how much we did or how much we served. God doesn't need our prepared speeches, doesn't need for us to put our lives together a little bit, to start that workout plan, to finish that degree, to do whatever it is that we think we need to do to become whole or loved. God simply throws the party. And I think God is something like this energy of loving grace, forgiveness laced with compassion, mercy without calculation, nothing else in God. When we see the world through the eyes of Christ, we see the divine in everyone and everything as Christ did. Forgiveness in this way is not diminishing or mechanistic, 
but it more likely resembles God's joyful embrace of love, calling to us saying, you have never been more loved in this moment, here and now. Let's party. I was talking to a group of older women about spirituality a couple years ago at a retreat center, and they were reflecting on their lives, and it was striking to me how prevalent um, not feeling loved was throughout their lives. There was a consensus that there was always a struggle to feel like they were enough. And we know that there are certain stages of life, finding ourselves, creating identity, raising a family, making friends, caring for parents, struggling with health. But all the while, they were searching to really know that they were enough. And I think if we're honest, this is something that we all wonder and struggle with. Perhaps this is the deepest human longing to not only feel love, but to simply know deep in our bones that we are enough. And there is a great beauty in this journey of life, I think, if we are patient enough to forgive ourselves and remember God's abiding love that is present with each breath we take, ready to celebrate who we are right where we are. Knowing this, we can see the beauty of life is full of struggle, complexity, doubt, sadness, loneliness, that this is normal and simply our changing environment. And what these women realize later in life is the truth that they, through it all, were always enough, always loved by God. And may we remember when we find ourselves in a distant land, we can always go back home and find a love feast. My hope for this year is that we do not ignore the bad of 2020, but also that we do not forget to celebrate the good. Or as my cross country coach would say, embrace the suck, enjoy the good. All right, I think we'll leave it there for this week. I hope you can join us on Sunday for Love Feast, November 22nd at 10 a.m. on Zoom. And as we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest. Be well.